G'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I have a huge announcement to make. Now as you all know, I've been working on my brand new book called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And I am super pumped to announce that it is now live on my website. It is live on Amazon. So please jump over to readgoosens.com forward slash books and grab a copy today. All proceeds from the sale of this book goes to charity. So remember to jump over to read goosens.com forward slash books and get your hands on one today. Now back into the show. Regardless of retail's reputation, it's not going anywhere. It's always kind of existed just in new forms. It just, it's always evolving. And so it's more of like figuring out if you want to be successful in retail, it's figuring out how are you going to evolve with it. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam Carswell. Adam is a real estate entrepreneur and an all-round good bloke. He has a hyper-focus in the retail shopping centers and commercial syndications. Adam serves as the director of Concordia Realty Corporation and the business development manager at Assime uh, Realty uh, Assign Capital and combined both firms have syndicated and redeveloped and repositioned over $425 million worth of real estate in 17 states across the United States. Adam is also an avid vlogger and podcaster and he launched his podcast Dream Chasers back in 2017 which I've had the pleasure of being a guest on. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show but enough out of me let's get him out here. G'day Adam welcome to the show how are you doing today mate? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Reed. And I have to say, I'm really impressed with uh, your ability to take my information from my website and put it all together there. That I don't because I don't think I sent it to you. So good job, right. mate. Well, it's uh, it's 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 my job, right? As a host, I've got to quickly scrounge around to get an introduction. But uh, that's that's what we do here. But mate, um, first question: uh, What did you do? Also, how did you make your first ever dollar as a kid? 
my first ever dollar it, I, it actually i think this is the first time i've ever answered this question which is pretty cool i was a door-to-door salesman for a company called Weedman lawn care services i was uh, in eighth grade and my friend's dad happened to own the local franchise and i don't know if they decided that sending middle schoolers door-to-door would make it harder for homeowners to say no to but that's what we did we would go through the neighborhoods of uh, beautiful mentor ohio and northeast ohio and say hey um, you know i'm here with Weedman lawn care service Let's see if I can remember the sales pitch. Basically, we're just saying we're going around giving out uh, free estimates if you're interested. And uh, I think it was like for every estimate you got, you got an extra dollar, which was like a big deal back then. Uh, but I'll never forget like eighth grade looking at my bank account one day and I had like three or $400 in there. And I was like, wow, I'm eighth grade. That was, I was balling. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What, how do you quote a, how do you quote a lawn? Cause I, you know, I've done my fair share of uh, lawn care. My, my parents own about 20 acres back in Australia. So I grew up mowing a lot of lawns, uh, ride-ons, whippersnipper. I think you call it weed wacky here in the States, but yeah, the smell of two stroke engine fumes. <laughs> right. No, we did. Thankfully, uh, we didn't have to get our hands too dirty. We were just the the front front line. We're the Marines, you know. We're getting out there, setting up the estimate, and then we send the crew in what like a week later to go do the actual estimate. Mate, it doesn't. You can't. You can't give an estimate without actually getting your fingers dirty. You know, rolling up the sleeves, <laughs> understand what it takes to uh, to to do to execute yeah, they, on a big lawn. <laughs> they they should have. You're right. They should have. Maybe they should have had us do a few. I'm thinking back. Back then, right, but right, hey, right, right. It, it was it was good. <laughs> well, mate, look, take us through the journey of where going from uh, lawn care all the way through to what you do today. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's interesting to think about now, saying that I, I started my career in, in lawn care and, and door-to-door sales, but uh, it makes sense if I look back at it, especially the sales aspect. Um, I'd say, no matter how much, no matter how you look at it, everything in life really does come down to sales. Um, Again, that, that is actually how I look at it, but I just find it hard to, to see it another way. Um, and so I've been blessed to kind of just be a talkative guy. And um, I've used that through everything that I've done so far in my career, uh, starting with, I'd say, we'll start with college. Um, I majored in, in broadcasting journalism. <clears throat> um, and I did that because it was, it was fun. It came easy to me. Uh, there's one teacher that I had that always joked and just called me the cameraman. Cause he's like every, every room Adam walks into, he's like, where's the camera? Where's the camera? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I studied broadcasting, but actually, um, at the time I wanted to be a, a college basketball coach and there's not really anything you can study. Um, I, I played college basketball, by the way, I ran track too. And, um, I just fell in love with coaching. There's not really something you can study um, in undergrad that is for uh, going into coaching. It's just in the summers, you have to network and you have to go to basketball camps and you got to work with other coaches, et cetera. So um, I was like, all right, journal, broadcast journalism, get the good grades, get the A. And then after I graduate, I'll, I'll start coaching, um, which I, I got a cool opportunity to do. I moved to Belize, Central America, after I finished at Westminster College in the, in the Pittsburgh area. Um, found myself in Belize playing at Galen University for my first year. Uh, I was getting my master's there through an accredited program in the U.S. And then after about eight or nine months, just a crazy series of unfortunate events that, not unfortunate, what am I talking about? Fortunate events happened. Um, and we can go into more details on that if you want, but it's, it's not necessarily aligned with uh, talking about real estate. But basically, I became the head coach of Galen University when I was 23. Um, the year before I became the head coach, we won the national championship. And then as a head coach, we won the national championship again. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like what just happened? I just achieved my life goal. I'm 23. 
I did have some student loans pending for my for my undergrad. Thankfully, grad school was uh, was a scholarship. Um, and so after like taking a hard look at it, you know, the money I was making there as a coach in Belize was good if like I had no debt. Right. But I had to get back and start making some U.S. dollars. So um, so I decided to kind of hang up the jersey a little early. But I, I also realized, you know, basketball was just a ticket for me to realize that I really like leadership and I really enjoy coaching no matter what it is. Um, I, I coach a, a group of young professionals right now. Um, and I just I just love it. So um, I moved back to the U.S., uh, worked with Sherwin Williams, a paint company for my first two years as a professional, realized that there was a little bit of a ceiling there, even though I would tell people if you like slit my wrist, then paint would just come out. I was die hard for the company. Like I would be convincing anyone, especially like, again, young professionals, like, yo, start working with Sherwin Williams, best company ever. Um, but yeah, I just, I just realized there was a little bit of a ceiling there. And then thankfully, uh, I don't even really know what it was. I, I think I could say it was probably rich dad, poor dad, like a lot of other real estate professionals that opened my eyes and it's like, wow, there's, there's really not much of a ceiling um, in real estate if you're hungry and you know how to hustle. So uh, that was about three, no more than four years ago, probably three years ago when I made that transition. And um, again, just continue to push forward and, and no looking back. That's, that's awesome, mate. So tell me a little bit more about the Belize trip because that would have been such an experience. So I take it you were the coach of a college in Belize that was part of the Belize National Championships, correct? Correct. Yes. Right. Um, Atlib was the, was the acronym. I can't remember what it stands for, A-T-L-I-B. But um, I went to Galen University. Uh, we were the Galen Eagles, G-A-L-E-N. You can go ahead and do a web search on, on Galen. Um, but yeah, that's where I was. I think actually, if you even go on, if you go on YouTube um, and you type in my name um, and Galen University, there's a video of me kind of giving, giving my last speech as a head coach to the team. Uh, after we won the championship and I've probably watched that video more than anyone else (laughs) going on YouTube but I just I just love it I think it really uh, shows who I believe I I am so um, Belize was an amazing trip and it was really cool how I I got to build connections and meet people there um, before I started meeting people like the real estate guys Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this yes uh, Yes, I am but uh, they're very well invested in Belize, along with a lot of other people who are slowly gravitating towards Belize for just all of the perks that the country has to offer in regards to investing. So it's cool to know that I already have a relationship and connections and boots on the ground there if I ever do really want to pursue my own uh, opportunities there. I haven't yet, but I've definitely been thinking about them for a few years now. Well, I'd love to come back to that because, yeah, there's a lot of uh, U.S. capital into Belize. Uh, is the Belize is Belize under the U.S. dollar? It is. Um, well, it, it is and it isn't. So a Belizean dollar is is fifty percent of a U.S. dollar. So if you have, they actually have a, their common bill is a two dollar bill. They do have a one dollar coin, but um, the two dollar bill is as good as one dollar U.S. So if you wanted to pay for a beer, you could you could pay with uh, US dollars or, or whatever you want to pay for there, right? <laughs> for sure. No, but I want to come back to that in a little bit because there is a lot of uh, similar circles that I run, you run, that uh, there's, you mentioned the real estate guys um, and they have, you know, a huge, I think they built a hotel down there. I know a lot of other investors who have bought single family houses down there just because it's under British law. Uh, it's also under the US dollar. So it's, it's very... Um, not as cyclical as other developing countries like Honduras or um, 
you know, other places in Central America, which got a little bit more risky for international capital. So, yeah, we'd love to talk about that in, in a little bit. But, you know, talk to me about the journey of developing into this real estate entrepreneur. And you, you mentioned Sherwin-Williams. I actually use Sherwin-Williams on all my assets uh, right go. now. <laughs> um, they're, they're somewhat what color? expensive. What, what, color, what color are you going with? Mate, we've got a lot of colors. We paint our buildings. <laughs> door, we, our designer picks the, 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 the SW paint spec and um but actually it's funny you you, you mentioned that i uh, my, my general contractor just said you know read there's another company and you may know the comp- competitor but i you know, it, it, it eludes me right now but benjamin but, Moore, maybe uh. not benjamin Moore, because um but there's another one that's like we can get the same product same color uh, samples for like 20 percent less so particularly when i do unit turns it's like easier and cheaper just to, to go with whatever it's in texas you know don't don't quote me i'll find out what the name of that company is but 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 back to you i want to talk a little bit about the journey of realization of, of hitting that ceiling and what made you want to do more and be more to, you know, go out and start trying to get a career in uh, real estate investing really when you didn't come from a background of real estate investing. Exactly. I think that what happened was I was, as I mentioned, I was falling in love with, with Sherwin Williams at the time and I was getting to brush shoulders with, some of the people that I really looked up to and that had a lot of influence, for example, within the district or within the company. And I started to observe their lives and uh, just, you know, how they measured success. And some of these guys that I'm thinking of right now, I still, I still look up to them like a lot, like they're very successful, hardworking individuals. What I just began to realize though, is um, in the most humble way possible, I want to be a billionaire one day. And 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 these the guys that I'm working with and I'm looking up to you know they're making good paychecks and they're they're they have a lot to look forward to even in regards to retirement I think Sherwin Williams really is one of the best companies to work for in regards to their retirement plans it was pretty remarkable from what I remember but um it was just like man at the end of the day is that is that all I really want um I thought it was because I really looked up to these guys even more when I first started because that's just kind of how you know, you go to the you go to the uh, the company events. You drink the Kool Aid. I think every major company does this. I've seen some of my friends, for example, that work at like Ernst and Young, and they just right from the beginning, it's like boom, party in Miami, like best best company ever. Um, so you know, you just get kind of sucked into that. Um, and it's I shouldn't even use the word sucked into because I have a lot of friends that you know it's been good for them. So uh, I think just for me, I was like, man, I just I just know I'm chasing something something more, something different. And, you know, I like to say something bigger. So, um, yeah, I don't know when the exact moment was, but actually I take it back. I do, but you look like you had another question. No, I I was just going to say that it's so interesting when you do have that realization of that there isn't maybe the long um, runway that you thought, you know, we've all been taught to go to university, like rush through school, rush through university, rush through life and get to the summer retirement at 65 working for someone else. And that's when you're going to start living your life. And it's sort of, um, this whole realization. I, I had a sim- similar conundrum when I also returned from being overseas when I was 24, 25, picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, similar to yourself, and just thought, I can't be doing civil engineering or structural engineering for the rest of my life, sitting in a cubicle, feeling like a very small cog in a large machine, right? And, and you know, you mentioned the Ernest Youngs of the world, the Sean Williams, like these companies are all great. And some people are, are made to be full-time workers, you know, worker bees. But I know it sounds like we're very similar, cut from similar cloth that, you know, there's more to give, you know. And I always use the analogy of when I'm being interviewed on other shows that I felt like, and probably to you, similar to yourself, 
I felt like a star basketball athlete sitting on the sideline and the game's going on of, of my life and I couldn't participate, right? It was just me because I was told that I've just got to sit in the, you're sitting there, man, you'll be on in a minute. You know, like you live <laughs> your life when you're 65. Then that's when you can get on the court and it's like, what? Right. you know, like what the hell? Like, no, that's <laughs> not what I want. I want to do it now and um, and I want to take control. So it's it sounds like we're very similar to to that and, and I always use that basketball analogy, particularly when I'm being interviewed on American shows. But do you have, is that a similar sort of feeling that you got when, you know, that, that, that there's just something in your pit of your stomach. You didn't know what, you, you know, what it was, but you had to go scratch it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I have to give a lot of credit, honestly, to, um, <clears throat> to my parents who funny enough, didn't really support me going this direction because they liked that security that I did have established and built. But, um, just from a young age, they've like, I think probably like most good parents, I would say definitely not the only one, but they just spoke so much life into my life. And I think really built my confidence as a kid. And I, I just have this feeling that's like, I, I don't know, hopefully something really big is, is coming. You know, it's just always that feeling that's there, the optimism and to be in a, oh, what's the most positive way I could say it is just like being a cubicle, I think was limiting who I can be and how I can, how I can let my light shine. So yeah. And then, and then the moment for me again, when the light bulb uh, kind of came on, was um, this was about a year and a half into my time with Sherwin and a friend of mine from from back home we kind of teamed up and started our own t-shirt company um, supplying t-shirts to people that I worked with at Sherwin-Williams so for example a contractor's coming and they got a crew of 10, 10 guys 20 guys but they don't have like anything that says JNS painting on it or whatever we kind of noticed that that need and started to build a business on it. So I was kind of like building a business on the business. And for the first time ever, when I was getting paid, I was like, Oh, wow. Like I'm getting all of this. <laughs> like the whole pay, the whole, the whole payment's coming back to me. And, and it wasn't a lot, but it, just the fact that it was happening, I was like, wow, this is actually probably what it could be like if I went like full time into real estate. That's awesome. A lot more. So yeah. Um, that, that, that's, that's actually very cool. I'm just gonna, sorry to interject. That's very cool that you identified a need and you know, we can talk about, you know, breaking out and, you know, sick of the day job, but the fact that you were already in a job and you saw a need for something, i.e. t-shirts, um, and you unplugged that, that need, you fulfilled it. I think that's, that speaks a lot to you as someone who doesn't have the blinkers on, you know, um, and, and can look at a situation and, and analyze it and say, hang on, that person needs that. And, and it's just to walk me through, like, how did you approach these, these contractors and say, hey, do you want to buy my shirts? <laughs> well, first I had to work on my Spanish, um, <laughs> but I do speak, I do speak enough Spanish where I, I can order food and get direct, give directions or ask for directions if I'm ever lost in Central America. Um, but it was, it was really God, I would say how it happened because one of my customers, um, I'm trying to remember, oh, he, he was just a very good customer. I think I referred him some business. So he kind of slipped me like a hundred dollar bill, like under the counter or something one time. I was like, man, I want to give back to him now for doing that. He didn't have to do that. And so I ordered a, um, I think he really liked Cristiano Ronaldo. So I ordered like a Ronaldo jersey from China for like $4 and I, <laughs> <laughs> I gave it to him. And, and I think he could kind of tell that it was like custom made or whatever, but he still right. was really happy to have it. And he's like, oh, he's like, this is awesome. Um, he's like, hey, I need t-shirts for my, for my crew. Can you, you think you can make t-shirts like for my crew too? So I guess he was assuming that I made it or something. And, <laughs> And I don't know, I just had the pressure on me. I was like, uh, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, we could do that. And then he left and I immediately got on the phone with my friend who's like the person I was thinking of that would know how to do this. I'm like, dude, I think I got, I think I got an idea for us. Like, can we make these shirts? And we just started talking and next thing you know, we, uh, we created leader shirt and, um, leader. L L E A D E R like lead, like the leader. Yeah. Like it's like leadership, but yep. leader shirt. Yep. And, yep. uh, we were, we were in business together for like a little over a year. We, we finished, uh, in the green, I would say, but, um, we just realized like that was when I was going full time into real estate as well. And I just was like, I needed more time for what I was working on and he needed more time for what he was working on too. So it was a happy ending. We're still really good friends. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. And I think it just says again, again, goes to the, the fact of who you are identifying opportunities that, that there's needs to be filled and you're going ahead and making, taking action and just doing it and, and sort of just saying yes to an opportunity. Oh yeah, man. Like, can you make me these shirts? Sure. I don't know how to, I don't know how I'm going to do it in the back of my mind, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. And that's right. the attitude of, you know, reading, you know, understanding that there was a ceiling at Sherman Williams, understanding that there's another way and you were going to go out and figure it out. Like you didn't know, you didn't have the answers and your parents are sort of breathing down your neck saying, Hey, you know, Adam, don't leave this really secure job because that's not how you're supposed to do life. <laughs> but you know, now you're out there figuring it out. So, so now, now tie it all together. You're now working for um, ASIM and Concordia Realty. Um, what do they focus on, and how did you make? A, you know, how did you get a kickstart into that into that that um that industry? Because as as I mentioned earlier, you don't have a background in real estate, but you have a hustle. So that's really something that a lot of people can identify. And I'm sure these two companies identified in you and said, "Well, hang on, this guy's you know got his head screwed on, and let's give him a job." Yeah. And real quick, I have to make a note how, how much I'm enjoying the flow of this conversational interview. <laughs> um, it actually, ever since I had you on my show, which was like, I think episode 36 or 37, and I'm up to uh, 55, I think is coming up next week. Thank you. Um, I've done the same thing. My interviews are much more conversational. I hardly use like the set questions that I have. So, um, everyone listening, read, read helped inspire my, my show. If you ever get a chance to listen to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, how they all tied together was <clears throat> it was, it was piece by piece. And I had the privilege of being interviewed, um, recently on the humans of Bitcoin podcast. And I don't think my interview has gone live yet, but this was the first time that I really retraced the steps and figured out how everything started to come together. Um, because when I left Sherwin Williams, all of a sudden I had time. I had so much time and it was great, but I, I did also have to now begin to learn how to use that the right way. Cause before it was always, someone was telling me how to do it. So, um, that probably ties into one of your questions we'll get to later, which is like, what was your biggest failure or like learning mistake or whatever. But, um, with that time, all of a sudden I found myself just diving into YouTube like educational videos and just learning about all sorts of things and I'll never forget one day I pulled up LinkedIn and an article was right there I think it was like Bloomberg and it's like Bitcoin is now trading at $1,800 and I was just like wait a second this was like a couple years ago um, I was like I don't know anything about Bitcoin but I remember it used to be like two or three dollars or something like a few years ago so I clicked on it started reading it started going down the rabbit hole like a lot, a lot of other people back in 2017 with the whole crypto buzz and uh, hopped on the phone with someone who kind of talked to me more about what it is. Cause I had no idea started following certain guys on YouTube, just diving into the crypto scene for a little bit there. And, um, I started following, um, a pretty notorious influencer. I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Berwick at all. 
heard of the um, name, but I haven't okay. but never listened to any of his content. But, but, but continue. Yeah, he he identifies as a um, as an anarcho capitalist. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I really I really I really like how he, how he, how he says a lot of things. Um, Jeff's a very uh, interesting guy, so I recommend anyone to check his his stuff out too. But um, Hunter, <clears throat> who I work with now, was interviewed on Jeff's show called Anarchast. And for the first time, I was like, wow, this guy is saying some really cool things about commercial real estate that I, one, I hardly even understand, but what I do understand, I want to know more about. So I sent Hunter um, an email and I said, hey, I saw your interview with, with Jeff Berwick, would like to talk. And I think we hopped on the phone, found out that I really didn't have much to offer at all in regards to, definitely in regards to capital or, or connections at the time with Hunter, but I did have to offer my, my energy and, and my hunger and so I think he took note of that. And I think he was even talking to you around this time based on some of the conversations we had, but he was getting ready to put together his mentorship program around this time. And um, he reached out to me like a month or two after I reached out and said, hey, I'm putting together this, this mentorship program for commercial real estate investing. Um, if you're interested, you know, just let me know and we can get you in the course. And I think I was like, I didn't even hesitate. I just emailed right back. I'm like, yeah, like, let's do it. And so this would have been like end of 2017, beginning of 2018. I went through the Cashflow Connections Mentorship Program, the, the first ever class, and just got just drowned in, in commercial real estate terminology and uh, just any, every, it was, it was like drinking from a, what do you call it, drinking from a fire hose. Oh, but sad. through all of that, I was really able to communicate to Hunter, like, I want to work with you, like whatever it takes, like I want to, I want to work with you. And so he's a very cautious guy when it comes to making, he's just very conservative with his decisions, which is awesome because uh, that the company is doing very well. And it's because of that, but bit by bit, he began giving me more tasks and more projects. And I got to go to freedom fest um, last winter, last, no, winter, last summer. Um, and then at freedom fest was uh, where I got to speak on behalf of Cashflow connections at our um, exhibitor booth. Now Cashflow connections is now ASIM capital as we, discussed earlier, but that was the name of our firm at the time. And then when I was at Freedom Fest with Cashflow Connections, I met Michael Flight. Um, Michael had, his, who I work with at Concordia Realty. Um, he had his son with him there at Freedom Fest, who just graduated from college. But at the time, just talking to this kid, I'm like, wow, he is, for 21, this is one of the sharpest 21-year-olds I've ever met. And so it was around the time I was really starting to ramp up my podcast, Dream Chasers, Interviews with the Future. And so I'm like, Sal, I'm I don't know what we're going to talk about, but you're going to be good at whatever you do one day. I want you to come on my show. And so I interviewed his Michael's son, who I didn't know I'd be working with one day in like August. And um, I think that helped win Michael over. Ultimately, when I reached out to him a few months later, I was like, hey, I'm moving to San Francisco. I was moving from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco at the time. Do you need any boots on the ground out there? And we started talking. Um, I started showing him my podcast. He already he already knew about it. But um we just started realizing like there's an opportunity to grow the Concordia Realty brand um, up our networking and start teaching me how to underwrite deals as well. So all of these things just started coming together. And it's funny because I said from the beginning, like I started going into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. If I just chase, trace it all the way back, that's really how it, how it started. But um, it's a lot of fun. I've learned a lot the past year and a half now, almost um, it feels like a lot longer and, I think that answers most of the question, but I'd definitely be happy to keep talking about it. No, I think it's great to sometimes pause and look back at the journey because 
a lot of people uh, in entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, we sort of, and I'm guilty of it as well, we're sort of always looking to that peak. Oh, when we get to the top, when we get to the top, but we never look at the journey and where we've come from. And I think stopping and enjoying the view at times is really, you know, it's quite humbling. It also gives us appreciation and gratitude and helps us solidify why we're on this path. And so just hearing your story just then, I think is really inspirational to probably all the listeners out there who may not necessarily have the real estate investing experience like you did, but you've got involved through just being there at the right place, showing up, showing people, the right people that you're worth your weight in gold and you're willing to learn and, uh, and, and you're a hard worker. So I think that's a really great summary of, of who you are and I can definitely start to, uh, to identify the type of character that, that, that you, you're going to grow into and, and the leader you're going to become. Um, but, but with the two companies, you know, how, how are they different and, and what, what are your roles in those individual companies right now um, and, and what are you learning? Like what, where, where are you investing? What, are you, what deals are you underwriting? Um, what are you seeing in the market right now? I'll start with, <coughs> excuse me, I'll start with ASIM. Um, there, I would, I would consider myself much more of a project manager. There's a lot of things that we're working on to, to grow the brand as well and to grow our, I guess you could say following, but basically I started working with Hunter on the podcast, um, the Cashflow Connections podcast, as it's still called. I think we just peaked at over 10,000 downloads a month now. We're averaging uh, more than 10K a month, which is like huge. And so I could say I'm a part of that. Dream Chasers isn't on that level yet, but we're getting there. So um, work on the podcast, work on sourcing guests. Uh, we put together a couple of websites and I've done a lot of the, de- uh, the design work. And I'd say a lot of the tasks and ways to grow the brand that Hunter would like to do, but he doesn't have the time for, I'm getting a chance to do it. And it's awesome because it's helping me learn how to grow my own personal brand at the same time. For example, I, everything that I teach to the students that I work with now in, in my mentorship course, I've taken a lot of that from, from Hunter and I think he took a lot from you. So actually it's, it's just kind of like all coming full circle here. But um, so I, I help teach the students um, <clears throat> in our mentorship program. Actually, we have a, uh, we have a, a meeting tonight with the, uh, with the course, the group that we're teaching right now. Um, a lot of other things and it's funny. I just can't think of them all right now, but uh, I'm, Hunt- sure, I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure Hunter's got you hustling really, really, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, no, we've had Hunter on this show as well. He's a, he's an incredible guest. Um, but, but, but then also with, with, uh, Concordia, um, realty, because I, I've also met Michael flight once and, uh, interesting what he's doing with re-entitling, uh, retail strip centers. And, uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit about that because that's such interesting, way to add value to different to an asset class that people are sort of really hesitant of of right now and i and, and i my personal belief is that as you as the people are running away from the fire you gotta you gotta run in you know because there's there's opportunities to be had if you know what you're looking for exactly exactly and that's why I've, that's kind of why i've gravitated towards working with michael too um i do actually have roots in retail because i was managing stores with sherwin williams but um Exactly. So I noticed that right away. I was like, okay, I remember when I was learning about ASIN Capital at the beginning, the reason why we had chosen self-storage and especially mobile home parks was the stigma surrounding them wasn't anything spectacular. If anything, it was actually something that people would raise an eyebrow at. And because of that stigma, it helped make the opportunities better for the people who are actually involved in those asset class, investing in those asset classes. Um, and I should also say that ASIM, the cool thing is that, you know, we're, syn- we're syndicating deals, whereas working with Concordia, it's more, 
we're more of the operators. Um, so what I'm learning about retail, I just went to um, Recon a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's ICSC, International um, Council of Shopping Centers. I just went to their event in Vegas and my mind was just blown. I had no idea how really how big and how powerful this industry is because at the end of the day, regardless of retail's reputation, it's not going anywhere. It's always kind of existed just in new forms. It just, it's always evolving. And so it's more of like figuring out if you want to be successful in retail, it's figuring out how are you going to evolve with it? And right now I think there's a lot of people struggling to evolve. Um, Sorry to interject, but you bring up a very good point. How are you seeing based on your, your experience at recon? Cause I had some other friends of mine, um, other Aussies who are um, in the retail space. They just made the transition from multi into retail but what are you seeing that, what, what evolution do, do retail owners need to be doing um, right now to make sure they're ahead of the curve? I think the, the biggest takeaway that I have is um, all retailers need to be as omni-channel as possible, meaning the physical store is still important, but if they don't have much of an online store and online presence, they really need to improve that. And then vice versa, uh, I think the writing on the wall is clear with what we saw about a year ago now with Amazon acquiring Whole Foods, however many billion dollar acquisition that was, I want to say like 13.7. The amount of of information and data that a company like Amazon has access to, the amount, the like the level of due diligence that Amazon can do, if they're investing in brick and mortar, then it should be a pretty telling sign for the direction that things are going to go. And I even said this to someone that I know recently and they were like, dude, you're crazy. But I don't know. I just have a feeling uh, Target and Walmart, for example, outperformed uh, Amazon last year percentage wise. I want to say in, in online growth. Now, obviously, they have more room to grow, but but both Target and Walmart already have the physical infrastructure there. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if if both Target and especially Walmart really start to give Amazon a run for their money over the next few years, just because that is the direction it's going. I know or Walmart's app now, if you, if you buy something um, online, you can go pick it up the same day and they have a tracker to like, let you know, like, I, I bet the consumer probably doesn't even know this, but you know, some type of notification goes off that, Hey, Jim is only three miles away. Get this order ready. Cause he's, he's coming. <laughs> so um, there's all kinds of things like this that are taking place in, in retail that make me think, okay, it's, it might, it might stink right now, but it's, it's just like a lot of other asset classes. It's not always going to be in the gutter. It just goes through cycles. And so, yeah, we'll I, I, I had a really interesting, um, interview with, uh, a, a guy named Babak Zakai, uh, on my show a couple of weeks ago. The audio was not great, but I definitely recommend anyone who's interested in the retail space to go back and listen to that. But one of the things he was sort of talking about was, Historically, um, you know, with all these mix, you know, these different developers are coming in, and, and I've seen it from doing ground-up construction here in LA and in New York. Mixed use, uh, you know, building apartments above retail in order to have a constant supply of patrons into those retail stores, rather than just doing, you know, a strip center. Um, but you know, historically, you know, and his viewpoint on the retail uh, space is that. A lot of these big box retailers just have too much space now. And so they've got to downsize and everyone's thinking, oh, we're going out of business and blah, blah, blah. And it's back to what you're talking about, the omni-channel, because things are going online. They don't need to necessarily have the class A brick and mortar retail store. They maybe have a flagship, you know, 
you know, postage stamp type store, but the cheaper rent and real estate is sort of in the back in the industrial estate because everything is going online through, you know, shipping and FedEx and UPS. Um, but, but in general, we as humans like the interaction of retail uh, in terms of we get out of our house, we get to go um, interact with other human beings. And, and that, that sense of retail will never die. And I really gravitated to that because he's so true that we, all, we, we are creatures of habit. We like to be around other people and going to a you know, retail therapy essentially is still always going to be a want and a need. Now, yes, some things are going to go online and things are going to downsize, but that's just because historically retailers have just got too much space now compared to 20 years ago when online wasn't really a thing. Um, do you have any comments or thoughts on that? Yeah, I think one, one major thing that, again, might slow down the insane online growth that we've been seeing for the past decade or so is um, it's <laughs> the name of the case is either South Dakota versus Wayfair or Wayfair versus South Dakota. I can't remember which comes first, but um, this recent uh, case basically is changing how um, taxation on online sales is, is if you, you, you're probably familiar with it. So um, that's something that could definitely potentially slow down online growth or encourage at least the, uh, the physical sales. So um, that's one thing that just ran through my head. And I had another thought too. Um, I'm sure if we keep talking, it'll, it'll come back to me. What, what, what I wanted to, you know, we talk very much about the high level stuff of retail, but I know um, at Concordia, you guys are focused a little bit more on the strip centers, you know, mom and pop type of, uh, you know, class two uh, markets. How do I as an investor, now, yes, the Amazons of the world and the targets of the world, I'm, you know, me as Reed Goosens might not go out and buy an, a, a Walmart or um, a Target, but I might look at, you know, an eight or 10 little small retail strip center with, you know, a Krispy Kreme and, you know, a Just Nails and, you know, a Jiffy Lube or something like that. What You're in that space. So talk to me a little bit about how you create value in and around those types of smaller strip centers um, and, and what you're seeing opportunities are in order to create that value add, so to speak, like we all look for in any commercial real estate. The value add is really where you move the needle, you move the NOI, you increase the value, you increase the cash flow you make a big exit in five or six years time. Exactly. Yep. So that, I mean, that's exactly it too, right there. And it's, it's reminding me of what I was going to say, which is, um, you know, our focus primarily is strip centers or strip malls, shopping centers, <clears throat> excuse me, that are anchored by a grocery store and normally have at least one discount store in there as well. Now the discount store could be a dollar tree, dollar general, um, it could be uh, Ross's, it could be a Marshall's, TJ Maxx, some type of discount store. And we've just found this formula to be very successful for us. We're looking at, as you mentioned, B and C class assets. Normally the A class ones are, are tough for us to get into just from a um, return perspective. I think that uh, also, hmm, we rarely look at a deal where the vacancy is more than 25%. We like to come in there and know that we're, you know, we have something to start with. And then um, again, we're actually, so we're, we're really close to closing in on a few deals here. This would be the, our first of 2019. So it would also be my, really my first time going through it too. So I can't say too much about the experience, but I can say that, um, you know, we have tricks, tips, hacks, some ways to really improve a shopping center pretty efficiently. Thankfully, because Michael, who I work with has been in business for over 30 years. So 
he's one of those guys where once he starts talking, I've noticed, like, especially being at recon, some of the meetings we went to, people just like, just shut up <laughs> and listen to him. And, uh, so it's, it's fun to kind of say like, yeah, this, this is who I, I work with. But, um, you know, he really knows his stuff and it can even be sometimes as simple as, as coming in there, getting one or two new tenants leased and um, updating the signage on the shopping center and doing something as, as simple as that can really flip the switch and start creating the returns that we project. And again, yeah, you know, we're normally looking at an exit anywhere from five, six, you know, you know maybe sometimes 10 years after we go into a deal. Um, but yeah, that value add focus, as you mentioned, that's where you move the, move the needle and that's where we have traditionally uh, move the needle at Concordia. What are you? Um, what are you seeing from cap rates going in? You know, if you're looking at just your, just summarizing some of the the, you know, I think top top five tip, you know, tips when you're looking at strip centers is an Ankid buy a grocery store. Uh, it's got to have a discount store in there, whether it be Dollar Tree, TJ Maxx, uh, and you don't look at anything with more than 25% vacancy. And you look to sort of rebrand the the strip center. You know, you talk about signage and maybe updates a bit of landscaping. Um, but what are you buying those sort of uh, the, those deals at in terms of cap rates these days? Yeah, good, good analysis, good recap there, real quick. Um, the other thing that we look at, <laughs> we do care about cap rate, but we don't put too much stress on that. What we really like to look at in regards to a front page metric is uh, price per square foot. So if if the price per square foot exceeds a hundred dollars per square foot, um, especially you know depending on the location of the property. And, and, and just for all the listeners out there, we're talking about tier two markets, Phoenix of the world, San Antonio's, Charlotte, North Carolina's. You're not talking about exactly. Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, right? Correct. Although um, we have underwritten a few deals in upstate New York um, that, that just happened to be good fits for what we were looking for. Um, and I think we had some relationships there too with, with the brokers or, or owners as well. But um, yeah, normally normally we're focused on the Sun Belt, as you mentioned, and yeah, hundred dollars per square foot or less. I think there was one time we looked at a deal in Anaheim that was like eighty three dollars per square foot, and we were trying to figure out how how is that possible. It turns out that it was um, on a ground lease, so it it, it wasn't going to be <laughs> going to be worth it in the end. But um, yeah, interesting. That, so that, hundred dollars really per foot and vacancy. Uh, and, and I know we, I don't, don't want to keep you too much longer, but. Uh, one thing I spoke to Michael uh, directly at the um, Intelligent Investor Real Estate Conference here in California uh, last year was talking a little bit about the re-entitlement, splitting up the lot, you know, essentially condo mapping it uh, to say, okay, Jiffy Lube, you now own the, the the little parcel you sit on or Starbucks, you now own that little parcel. And that's another value add where you're splitting up the maybe say 20 acres of, of a strip center into individual parcels. Correct. Yeah. That's again, that's a process that I haven't gone through yet, but I know it's something that we have done where, especially if you do have a large parking lot, for example, or um, you do just happen to have a parcel that if you, if you run the numbers, if it's, if it's going to create a better return for you, sometimes it is better to kind of wholesale acquire the, the center, the shopping center, the strip mall, and then sell off those parcels throughout your, your time of ownership. Will it also go back to that? If you're buying the whole thing, at $100 a square foot over say 19 acres and you divide it into five or six or seven different little parcels and you can then resell it to the individual tenants who are living on or who are occupying those parts of that 
property at $200 a square foot or more, which you may be, right. you know, because that's value that you've just instantly created value through going through entitlements with the local city. And I've, I've, we, I've talked a little bit about on the show about re-entitling land. That is exactly shifting paper. You have to, you have to change any signage there. You're literally just creating a condo map and you're approaching those owners or those, those, those operators and saying, hey, do you want to own the land that you sit on right now and it'd be cheaper for you? And then you're getting out of a deal. You're doubling your money by shifting a bit of paper at the city which is kind of a very interesting strategy, um, but something we can talk a little bit more in the future. Mate, I do want to be respectful of your time. So tell me, what does 2019 and beyond have in store, both for you personally and professionally? I think I'll have more fun answering the, the personal one. So I'll, I'll start with the professional. Professionally, um, I would say really just growing my personal brand alongside what I'm doing with Michael and Hunter. Uh, it's been amazing to learn from two great minds and, and two individuals who are basically, I'd say where I would like to be one day in regards to success and what they're doing in commercial real estate. Um, so if by the end of the year, I, I've been pretty evangelistic about this. Uh, I'm still really in the learning phase. So I think by the end of 2019, I, I'll be ready to make my first um, actual contribution to a deal which uh, again, thanks to the networking, this is something that I think people don't realize is, you know, you don't necessarily have to be accredited. You just have to have friends who are accredited or, or know people who know what they're doing. So, um, so yeah, I think by the end of the year, I'll, I'll make my first investment in, in a deal. I don't know what that deal is yet, but we'll see. Um, that's a professional goal. We'll see what happens. 2020 is going to be hopefully a lot of fun as well. Personally, um, I guess I take my podcast pretty personally. And so I, some might say it's professional, but just being consistent with dream chasers, I've seen it grow um, pretty significantly. The pestling out there, if you're, if you're in podcasting, Anchor is a great way to get your, your message out there on all major platforms for free. Um, so I found that out around the time I think I first met you, Reed, was when I first got my show on, on, on all the big platforms. So growing dream chasers, growing the brand. Um, I didn't mention this yet on the call and I don't even know if, if you're aware of this, but I'm actually in Newfoundland, Canada right now. I'm in St. John's and that could be why we might've been having, we might've been having some, uh, connectivity issues here. Cause I'm still trying to figure out where the best place in this building is for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> but, um, I'm staying with, with some friends for the next few months here in St. John's. They're studying up here at the, at the university, which is actually right across the street from me right now. And um, I met them when I was in Belize. We've just remained really good friends. I've always had a good time when I come up here. And so um, about two, probably about three months ago now, um, I, I, got, I ended a relationship. I, I was in a pretty serious relationship with my girlfriend. And that's what actually brought me to San Francisco, as I was mentioning to you. Um, so that was really hard. But thankfully, I am in a much better headspace now. And I've got a, a life where I can kind of be a digital nomad. Uh, pretty much everything I do with, with Michael and Hunter is online and over the phone. So. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to St. John's and live with the boys for the summer and we'll see what's next. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's been pretty fun. And to be honest, people here are pretty nice. I don't know if you've ever been to, to Newfoundland before, but it's got me thinking like, hmm, I might actually stay here a little bit longer than I planned. <laughs> well, mate, that sounds, uh, sounds incredible. Sounds like you got a lot, lot ahead of, for you in store um, for, now, for 2019 and beyond. And it's also, I was wondering, because I saw that on your website, Newfoundland, uh, in, and that's in Canada, correct? Right? Yeah, the, I'm I'm actually four and a half hours ahead of you right now, and uh, this is the first. 
the first city in North America that the sun rises on every day. Mm. So. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, man, um, I want to summer. I want to get into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Biggest daily habit that I that I do that keeps me on track. And man, there's like, Reed, there's so many things right now that I've realized I think are coming back to you because I know we talked about this before. Um, I journal every day. And it's something, sometimes I'll take the weekends off, but um, I started journaling in January and I want to say, Maybe you and a few others had told me the power of it. I think Hunter was telling me he journals they met you. Um, you were you were sharing with me. You know, I love I love journaling daily, and I was like, man, someone like Reed and Hunter are journaling every day. Like, I think I need to start doing this, and now it's become a habit, and it's become very beneficial for my days and my lives because you just you know you don't realize it, but when you're writing, you're really creating your your life. You're writing out your story right there in front of you. That's awesome, man. I, I, I'm a, I, with my busy week, I try to, I usually journal on the Sundays now for the week. Um, grateful, get, get the, get the map set up, the, the, the yellow brick road, and then, um, you know, have time to stop and reflect and try and meditate every once a day as well. Um, but for journaling is a you know, type of meditation and, um, you know, very, very interesting. And, and I'm glad you, when I first met you that you've taken that under your wing. That's awesome. Mate, who is the most influential person in your career to date? I think the easy, the easy answer I could say would be like, would be my dad. <laughs> Cause he's been, he's always been someone that I know I can go to and talk to, but um, I'll give a, a, a less generic answer. Cause I feel like that's what a lot of, a lot of people will say. Papa Carswell, I love you. You know that uh, I, I could, I could talk about how, how much you've influenced me. Um, but I would have to say <clears throat> it's going to come down to uh, either Michael or Hunter got one other guy actually who, who really helped me out a lot and I still work with him a little bit. He's based out of Washington, DC, um, Andrew Reamer, but I'm going to go with Hunter. Sorry, Michael, if you're listening, <laughs> just because, uh, I met Michael through Hunter. And so Hunter's right. given me a lot of opportunities. If it, if it wasn't for Hunter, then you and I probably wouldn't be talking right now. So, um, I think Hunter Thompson, the managing principal of ASIM capital is the most influential person in my life right now and he's he's really helped open my eyes and give me a lot a lot of opportunities to be successful and this is this is the best i can do right now is just say thank That's, you man appreciate it <laughs> well you can't you can't also go past your dad papa carswell i love love that you know uh, my, my dad is also the most influential my, my parents are also very influential in my life and i think growing up it sounds like you had uh, a really supportive network in and around you as a kid and uh, it definitely shows so um, your parents probably have a lot, uh, a lot of thanks needs to go their way as well. But, um, but also Hunter, you know, we'll give you a little bit if you're listening. <laughs> but what is the most influential tool in your business to date? I'm going to go with LinkedIn. Uh, when I first got my job, when I look back at it with uh, Sherwin-Williams, it was through someone that I knew on LinkedIn that I went to college with. Um, so LinkedIn is the most powerful tool in my life for those reasons. And then also because I would say for about the past six months or so, I've really been utilizing it daily. Um, just as a, as a 
the personal marketing platform. I've built a lot of these, maybe even never had a phone call with, but we've just interacted and engaged with each other's posts so frequently that we've really built this connection and this bond. Um, so there's a lot of people that I, if, if you want to connect, by the way, if you're listening right now, please go connect with me on LinkedIn and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's a powerful platform. And as, as long as you can kind of break through the threshold of fear, because I think that's the one platform people are maybe a little bit more afraid to post on. Like someone will go on Facebook post every day, Instagram post every day, but they won't touch LinkedIn for whatever reason, I guess, cause it's professional, but I've begun to began to treat my LinkedIn almost like my other social media platforms. Obviously I, I take it a little bit more professionally, but um, it's just, it's really helped grow my network just awesome. treating it like hey i'm at the gym right now like what's going on guys <laughs> like that kind of stuff awesome man um in one sentence or in one word whatever you choose what has been the biggest failure in your career to date and what'd you learn mm-hmm. i think my biggest failure was a or what's the right word um just a reaction of my, one of my biggest successes, which was, so when I got started with real estate, it wasn't commercial, it was residential. I was a realtor and within like two months of being a full-time realtor, um, I had my first sale. I started working with, uh, with Leonardo, which is an aerospace company. And I was helping them place their employees in the Washington DC area. And I made some really, really good money, like right off of the bat. And so I just, like probably a lot of young people do, started thinking, ah, oh, this, is, this is normal. It's, I'm always going to have just money flowing in like this. And probably about a year later, I had like just deal after deal just fall through that I, that I was also kind of like banking on. And so by the time August of last year, this past August rolled around, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm looking at like my life and my bank account and I'm like, holy crap, like what just happened? And when I look back at what I probably did wrong was I just, I just thought I could do it all myself basically. Right. And I think there's been multiple times in my life where I felt like I could do it all myself and got humbled really quick, but that was definitely the biggest one. So if I look back on it now, when I advise anyone, if they do want to be a realtor, they do want to go into real estate to join, you have to join a team at the beginning or really work with someone who, you know, is your confidant, who, you know, like is, is literally holding your hand through those first few years because for me, I was successful out of the gate. I was offered to be on teams, but I turned them down because I was kind of like, well, I was just on a, on a big team with Sherwin Williams. I don't want to go back to working for someone else. So I turned down like joining these teams. And I think if I would have just kind of swallowed my pride and, and learned the systems that already work for others, then I wouldn't have had to run into that, that road bump, that, that bump in the road that I hit last year. Awesome. Well, I think that's, you know, that's so important surrounding yourself with a team that will make you more successful and uh, yeah. And understanding that you can't do it all yourself. And once you have that realization that you can't wear all the hats, it's okay to, um, to, to take, to give one of the other hats to another team member or bring someone on who can help you at a skill set that you're not really good at. And that's what I've done in my career. And that's what now you're learning, which is uh, really, really incredible. Adam, uh, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be more in your sphere. They want to reach out and just say, g'day. Where do they go? You can email me. Uh, my email is adam at carswell. Io, so spell that out just how we've got it here, probably in the show notes. Um, 
yeah, email is definitely best. Next best and probably most recommended would be to, <laughs> excuse me, to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, if you, if you can get a, a, my, my LinkedIn URL in the show notes, that'd be cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I really look forward to interacting and engaging with, with you guys listening on LinkedIn. It's a lot of fun. And, um, I think that if you're not already having fun on there, I can show you ways to do it and not, not take it too seriously. It's a, it's a good place to be. So email, LinkedIn. And then if you notice in my email, it's at carswell.io. So I encourage everyone to check out my website as well, carswell.io. It's, uh, it's got a picture of me and my younger brother on there, Paul, who's um, in insurance sales over in Washington, D.C. still as well. So two, uh, I think two good looking guys. You just got to figure out which one you want to click on when you get to the website. <laughs> Well, mate, I want to thank you for dropping by today. Um, and for anyone who didn't catch that, it's adam at carswell.io. Uh, yeah, Adam is dialing in from Newfoundland today. So any static that we did here on today's show, I do apologize. Uh, we will have all the summary of today's show up on my website at reedgoosens.com. Make sure you go check that out. And make sure you reach out to Adam if you have any questions about getting started in real estate investing with no experience. You know, he's come from a long way, from all the way in Belize, uh, being a basketball coach, achieving like a, his basketball college career coach as 23 years of age and then sort of having to reassess his life, get into a space that he had no experience in, but just kept hustling, kept grinding. And I think a lot of great lessons out of today's show. Um, please remember to head over to readgoosens.com, click on the podcast tab and all the links from today's show will be up on that website. I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack.